Hey, Cast Chasers, Christina here. We'll start the show in just a moment, but first we wanted to tell you about a new, award-winning, four-grain straight bourbon whiskey that's been taking the market by storm, Penelope Bourbon. Penelope's balanced yet flavorful taste profile comes from a unique blend of three bourbon mash bills. Currently available in three expressions, four-grain, barrel strength, and toasted, Penelope is remarkably smooth and flavorful. So whether you're sipping neat or using it in your favorite cocktail, Penelope is perfect for you. Penelope Bourbon is available in select markets as well as online at PenelopeBourbon.com. What's up, everybody? This is Fred Minnick. Pour a tram and settle in. This is the Cast Chasers podcast. Giddy up. Dearest Bobby and Aaron. Hey. What's up, guys? Was that handwritten? How did you know? It sounded like a note. The, the way the way Katie addresses us in the beginning of this, <laughs> they, they, they're getting more and more old-timey as yeah. we go along. I can hear the calligraphy in her voice. Right. It's, yeah. it's totally a reflection of whatever I'm watching on TV, yeah. because you guys have heard me say this five times just this morning, but I've been binge-watching Downton Abbey again. That's awesome. Best yeah. Show. yeah. yeah. Uh, my, my coworkers are very confused, though, because... All of a sudden, my emails have gotten like very formal and like, if you please, and would you rather? So. A, lot of, a lot of balls recently we've been invited to. So uh, <laughs> a lot of balls. Yeah. Yeah. I've started saying, shall we go through yeah, yeah. after we're finished dinner? And there's, there's nowhere to go. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Nice I'm, mentality to be in, though. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to today. Why is that, Bobby? Because I'm rarely looking forward to any. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm pumped about our, our guest. I'm a huge fan and I've chatted with him a few times. Uh, online and everything but this mm-hmm. is the first time i've met him quotation marks in person uh-huh. uh and uh i'm just really pumped to to get into his get into his psyche yeah. get into his head at 11 o'clock in the morning right right yeah. is this an intervention and he doesn't know it or what are we doing <laughs> oh i have a letter on how he's made me feel so <laughs> you guys didn't write one okay oh, i didn't know okay, mine's cool. in calligraphy yeah, so yeah, maybe it is. <laughs> Cool, cool. No, it'll be a good one today. And uh, it'll be a nice switch for us, too, I think, because I feel like we've been talking a lot about scotch recently. And, uh, you know, the the gentleman that we're about to bring on, very well versed in all whiskey types, but I know he's a uh, special in the American whiskey scene, especially. So it'll be a nice switch off. Yeah. Yeah. So without any ado, should I go for it? Yeah, bring I guess. Maybe? I mean, that's fine. All right. Well, Cast Chaser listeners joining us today, we've got author and whiskey journalist, one of the judges of the San Francisco World Spirit Competition, and a man whose excellent palate is only exceeded by his excellent taste in ascots, we've got Fred Middick joining us. Woo! That's the audience. Oh, round of applause. <laughs> That's right. It's a live studio <laughs> audience here. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The iconic setup in the back. Um, I've uh, seen it on video a few times, which I'm seeing it on video now, too, but... Um, I'm. Uh, it's almost like I'm in there. It's uh, in person. It's very impressive. It's almost like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I well, you're I, you're invited anytime. Like it's not. I mean, you know, I'm I'm bring friends in all the time, and uh, people always ask me like, how do you stay organized? There's no organization whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, you know. Uh, so the bottles move all the time, and I have to be careful with my cigar club. They'll come in here and drink yeah. way Rampage. too much. Rampage. Yeah. yeah. 
I have a so I have a whiskey room, and in that room there was a open sh- few open shelves of everybody can grab. But then I have this glass locked shelf, and I try my best. And wh- that's where the whiskey's supposed to go if it's a party of not necessarily whiskey people that mm-hmm. I don't want people to touch. Yet I'm always opening that up first because after I get a few in me, I the newest person in the world that's never drank whiskey before. I'm like, you really should have this. This is a rhetoric. 23 year old, and I, <laughs> <laughs> I start pouring. So I just become the guy that just wants to open that case. But I do try generosity, man. Yeah, that's that's the whole point. But I would like to yeah. start um, with. We have a lot of listeners on our show mm-hmm. that are new to whiskey. We have mm-hmm. we have a a group of newcomers, and we have a lot of people that are you know, baptized in whiskey and, or really, really know their stuff. The, 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 uh, the enthusiast, but the newcomers may not know exactly who you are. And we did the little intro at the beginning, but I wanted to talk about kind of your beginnings and how you got into it. First and foremost, thank you for your service. So mm-hmm. I, I, I also served in the military and I know you did too, as a photo Marine Corps, right? Marine Corps. That's right. Um, yeah. and I spent a lot of time with people in your position and I've always, and I'm not just saying this, I always have had the most respect for because you, those guys would get into these positions and put themselves in situations where it was, it was dangerous, but to get the mm-hmm. right shot to really, you know, get the American people and the public an idea of what's yeah. going on, whether it was photo or video or whatever. So, you know, thank you sincerely for that. Um, and thank uh, you. How does that, though, I know my story, and I've told it before, military to, to whiskey, you know, e-club is kind of where it all started for me. And then it kind of evolved where I just didn't want to, you know, get trashed till three in the morning. And I wanted to be <laughs> a little more refined about it. What is, how, do you, how do you go from that, the heroicness that you, 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 the work you put in in Iraq and overseas to what you are now? I mean, what's the beginning stages look like? How do you, how do you segue into the Fred Minnick show? Yeah, I mean, I've always been a. I mean, thanks for your service too, Bobby. I mean, that's what I was know, looking for. Yeah. <laughs> people, by the way, I mean, people don't realize like it's just it's it's such a. I mean, everyone thinks that there's so much stuff from the military that is like you know when you get out of it, you look back on it and like ninety five percent of you that was shit you look back on is like, man, I'm so glad I didn't get in trouble for this. I'm so glad I didn't get in trouble mm. for this. Like. Half of being in the military is being scared shitless of your superiors yelling at you. It's true. So it's it's uh it, it's so to survive that is at uh, the very least is like that's that's something. Yeah. But uh, and Marines, man, I spent a lot. Of, I did spend a lot of time with Marines. Uh, but uh, the, the time I did, I was always amazed because, like, I swear to God, you all were in Iraq with like uh, M16A1s and and still like uh, like y- you all were fighting with like equipment that was retired like 10 years ago and it, you yeah. all were still winning the battle it's like i've never understood why the marines didn't get more of a priority with equipment i and i had a two so i was a team leader so in the marine corps i had a 203 grenade launcher which is a for the listeners it's a it's that tube that sits at the bottom of the rifle mine was taped shut because it was loose and broken and i would take it to the armor our marine armor and they'd be like well you got it fixed it looks like it didn't get fixed until I, there was a SEAL team there, and they had a they had their own armor. It, it, it was a SEAL team that fixed my two or three for me. What was their reaction to seeing tape on it? Well, we're Marines. They all know oh, okay. that. They're like, well, Marines, everything they have is broken. But uh, but you know, we and, fight, I mean, you know. And and like you know, we had we had a minute where we were using sheet metal for our Humvees, and like and those got replaced real quickly as soon as we got into like our task force. 
And, you know, I'd still see like it would be like mid 2004. I would still see Marines with like sheet metal Humvees. And it was yeah. like, it's unbelievable. Um, but anyway, you know, we could turn this into a military podcast real quick. <laughs> yeah. uh, I My story is very connected to the military. And I'd always been a bourbon drinker. I wouldn't say I was a bourbon taster, you know, much like to your you know, enlisted or NCO club days, I would uh, <laughs> have a lot of drinks. <laughs> um, the pause there told enough and, of the story. <laughs> and, you know, my first very first legal drink was, you know, basically chugging a bottle of uh, Jim Beam on the rooftop of uh, my fraternity house. I had I had people sending me Jack Daniels and Jim Beam and Listerine bottles while I was in Iraq because it was nice. illegal for us to have mm-hmm. uh, uh, alcohol there. So I snuck it in that way. But, you know, when, when I came home, you know, man, I was I, I was in a mo- I was in a I was close to homelessness, suicide, going to prison. I mean, it, I was in rough, rough place. And I was um, I, I was able to get work and and it just I couldn't hold a job because I was so I was so messed up. And like there would be things like. um a, an air conditioner would kick on very loudly and I would, I would hunker down underneath my desk. I mean, we're talking maybe, maybe eight months removed from country. And, uh, and I, anytime my boss would, would criticize or give me direction. I mean, I'd want to put a stapler through his head and I'm very fortunate that I at least had the, I had the ability to keep myself from doing that. Um, at that time, but I mean, a little bit more time, I probably would not have. And I get into, uh, I quit my job and became a freelancer in, in you, I was basically in charge of my own schedule. And and the reason, one of the reasons why I did that was because I had to really, really focus on myself or I was, you know, I was going, I was going down the tubes quick and, um, in therapy, I was as basically going to therapy at least twice a week and I was focusing on, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy as well as exposure therapy. There's a few moments in my, in my military career that really were the pinpoints of my trauma. I mean, everybody, everybody has those. Mine was, uh, um, was a moment where I was almost killed and I, uh, I put a lot of focus on that. Well, I got through those steps and I was, I was basically, I had basically gotten myself in a position where I was not going to kill myself or go to prison. I mean, I'd gotten myself in a, uh, to where I was stable, but I wasn't really able to live. And when I say that, I mean, like I didn't have I didn't have joy in me. Like, I mean, I was, I mean, I had an incredible girlfriend at the time. She's now my wife and, um, mother of two kids. And I, that was the, that was the thing. Our relationship is what gave me joy, what gave me happiness. And professionally I was writing and photographing anything I could, everything from baseball games, you know, minor league baseball games to track and field. Uh, I was even writing about, uh, sewage treatment facilities, but when you are a when you are a freelancer, one of the things you do is you you write and cover things in your backyard. I got an assignment from a magazine called Successful Meetings, and um, I had a cup of coffee with writing about food and and wine and such. and And I said I would 
I would love to cover this uh, piece. Uh, this was in late 2006, and they had asked me to write about the Kentucky Bourbon Trail. And so I wrote about the Bourbon Trail, and the article would be published in 2007. And um, it was it was kind of like, huh, I love bourbon. Maybe I should write about this. And so then I got like this. I started writing for this magazine called Tasting Panel, which is a trade publication. I no longer write for them, but that was those are my two big like first like professional moments in the in the space. But at the same time, while in therapy, I had gotten myself in a really good position to, you know, to focus on being happy versus like just, you know, surviving. And and one of the my my therapist introduced me to a technique called taste mindfulness. And it started with like a barbecue potato chip. I put the chip on my tongue. Um, I thought about it. I thought about the crunch. Uh, I felt the like sugar separate from uh, the spicy notes. And I just really focused on how the chip tasted. And I can tell you, at no point in my life have I ever really stopped and thought about how a potato chip tasted. I just shoved those things in my mouth and yeah. crunched, you know, and probably switched it with a beer or a Coke or something. And in that moment really changed me. And I also started like, you know, focusing on what I'd smell. I'd always been able to smell things other people's can't, other people can't. And it it was the moment where that moment in the ther in therapy like turned something on in my brain of like saying like, wow, you can taste things uh, that you didn't know you could. And so you focused on it. And so at that time, I was I was basically interviewing all these master distillers, master sommeliers. And, you know, this was this was a moment when nobody was covering whiskey. And I was, you know, really intuitive. And I I was also a journalist. And so I was asking questions other people weren't. I was um, I was seeking transparency when an industry did not want to seek, you know, offer it. And I was able to get information uh, from people and publish it. And um, and at first people were like, oh, my gosh, you're going to get in trouble for them. I'm like, I, I mean, I don't care. I mean, it, I didn't care at the time. And uh, now everybody discloses everything. But I was able to I was able to basically get like an between 2006 and like 2009, I was able to get like an MBA level, doctorate level understanding of how bourbon was made, how the industry works, every facet of it, because I was one of the only people going around asking questions. And I, at the same time, I was training my palate. My first book, uh, Whiskey Women, would come out in 2013. I became a judge at San Francisco that same year. I would, um, you know, I would write other books, Bourbon, uh, Bourbon Curious, uh, which has two editions. And I wrote some um, things in other categories, but uh, that's kind of, that's kind of how it started for me was, you know, taking, uh, taking a moment to work on myself and also, you know, writing about things that I cared about personally. Hey, babe. Yeah, honey. Um, could you talk to me about Single Cask Nation? I've heard of these people. Yeah. Yeah. Cool guys. Cool guys. Yeah. Yeah. They're like independent bottlers. Sure are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even I know that. You should you should know that. Yeah. The seventh retail release of Single Cask Nation 
is hitting U.S. shelves starting in July. What? Yeah. Six new casks of whiskey, anywhere between 10 and 20 years old. Nice. Each one more delicious than the next. Wow. Yep. Every single cask has to be approved by me or my business partner, Jason Johnston Yellen. Mm -hmm. We only bottle the stuff that we fall in love with. Yes. We only bottle the stuff that we would want to open our wallets for. I know it. Right? Mm -hmm. We're proud to have Impex as our importer, and Impex is proud to be a sponsor of the Cast Chasers podcast. Nice. So I, the, the potato chip thing is, that's really interesting to me because I never started to, and I, I'll be honest, I haven't done it with potato chips, but I never really started thinking about I've seen it. the way food just shovel me in your mouth. Thank <laughs> you. Uh, the way like foods really taste until I got really into whiskey and doing that, you know? And like, mm -hmm. I feel like the, you know, going through a whole, you know, like tasting, like, you know, look, eat with your eyes first and look, you know, look at it and then the nose and then the palate. And then, the, and I, there was literally nothing else in my life I was doing that with. And one day I was like, well, why? And it's as far as food and drink it goes, I think it's made the entire experience far more enjoyable Somebody tells me, I don't know why, but I taste, you know, uh, peanuts. I'm like, well, take that, walk with it, you know. And I think mm -hmm. Peggy, Peggy, you know, uh, you know, we we had her on the show, and it was the same idea. She goes, well, what kind of apple? And then, well, what season is the apple? And then you start falling into that deep thought, and it just helps you put together that flavor profile a little better. And that's kind of what meditation is, I think. Sure, you yeah. know, for a healthy mind and all of that. Yeah, sure, absolutely. I think the powerful thing about how you just laid out your story, Fred, is, you know, like Bobby and Aaron mentioned at the beginning, we've got a lot of people that listen to our show that are new whiskey enthusiasts. And, you know, my first experience actually listening to some of your work or, or listening to some of your interviews was when we were getting ready to talk with Peggy No Stevens. And I remember just being so I love the way that you guys were, were chit chatting in that particular uh, YouTube clip that I stumbled upon. And the fact that both of you really highlighted the power of just concentrating on savoring each bit by bit. And mm -hmm. then I, I forget if your conversation went into this, but it, it dovetailed perfectly into some of the things that we've talked about on the show. Um, the fact that when you, you take that time to appreciate and bring out each of the different sensations with a tasting or a potato chip or whatever that moment is, if you have the ability to really savor that moment, the opportunity to open up storytelling among the people that you're there with and sharing that experience with just blows up exponentially. Oh, yeah. it, it almost yeah. makes you here. How do I say this compliment without making it too much? Fun? You're like a Jedi. Where you've like <laughs> mastered the control of your own brain in a way. You know what I mean? And that's uh, you so what's, very what's, well, the, what's you, the dark side? If I'm a you Jedi, went yeah, sit, right. yeah. the, I was going to say you could have went sit. <laughs> vodka people. No, there <laughs> we go. <laughs> Uh, that's cool. That's uh, but funny. I think I think all of those things, you know, and I've I've read a lot of this stuff from you and everything, and you know, a lot of those things are what give you credibility. And you know, there's a lot of people, upper echelon people in the whiskey world, that tell us the consumer what they should drink and you know what is good and what isn't good. And some of them have a name and maybe some credibility. But you you have both. I think everybody knows who Fred Minnick is, but. I think everybody does respect what you're saying. It's not just because you're at an upper level in the whiskey world. You actually have a that's those stories 
make it believable. Like I trust- well, appreciate that. Yeah. I-, I will say too, like I never want anyone to feel like I'm telling them what to drink. I, I mean, I can, I can give a review, but I always try. I don't always remember, but I always try to give the caveat of like, this is just my palate taste for yourself. And, you know, I hope people can garner uh, bits and pieces from tasters for themselves and not necessarily be holding to um, what someone else says. And I think that's very, very important. And we, we tend to be we tend to be in a place in American whiskey where everybody is and your your, um, your title of your podcast is cast chasers. I mean, it's very perfectly suited for this conversation. It people tend to like just kind of get in a hunt all the time and and the hunt becomes so, so much fun. You know, the question is, how do you choose what to hunt? Mm-hmm. And and it tends to be like, you know, well, what does everyone else think? And, you know, I happen to like a lot of whiskeys that, you know, my colleagues hate. And and I their influence on me has no impact on whether or not I like that whiskey or not. And, Can I ask a quick question on that? Do you find that, you know, some of those whiskeys that, you know, you just mentioned your colleagues don't like that you have a, you know, feeling for, do you find that that's more because of things you're picking up when you're sipping on those whiskeys or is there like a nostalgic component as, you know, a Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I am, I, I am very versed in spirits, very versed. And like I've tasted, um, you know, everything from uh, Greek spirits that are made of rosin from their roots to uh, licorice forward uh, brandies from France. And there are any number of um, of flavors and spirits that get there from the yeast for fermentation, uh, from distillation, still types, the blending of a pot and column, the the barrels. And in bourbon, people tend to have a very finite idea of what bourbon should taste like. And they go into the tasting thinking that it should be caramel forward, vanilla, butterscotchy. And there is a there is a simplicity there that's beautiful with the way bourbon is traditionally made. But there are so many newfound styles that are changing the game in terms of like the flavors that are coming out on something that is labeled legally bourbon. And for the, for example, uh, Spirits of French Lick mm. is a, you know, they are specializing in four grain. Uh, they are using oats, which is a very common grain that you see in 1800s eras, uh, non-Kentucky uh, recipes. Uh, Woodenville, uh, which can come off very grain forward as well. So there's, there is a power and a nuance in, in grains when distilled right that uh are very pleasing to me and and they don't have the big butterscotchy caramel bombs um and then you have something like 291 out of colorado which is using uh aspen to kind of give a little touch of smoke to it uh but there's also like a like a um, uh, like a pecan shell an oyster shell flavor in there there's a lot of uniqueness in there but the traditional like bourbon lover doesn't like those and i've been i I've been doing this long enough to be able to detect, detect flaws and flaws are, can come off as like a popcorn. It can come off like, um, acetone. It can come off like, uh, 
smelly gym socks. You know, lo- there's a lot of things. <laughs> I seek that out. That, that again, <laughs> I like the gym socks. Yeah, smell. it's good stuff. <laughs> actually, it's my, I'm going to age in an old gym sock barrel. You know, yeah. I mean, <laughs> old gym sock barrel. That's the way to, to go, find. right there. Hard to find. <laughs> I, I, so I, I think I like to think that we're whiskey people, and we we've seen to have gathered a lot of respect from the whiskey community and everything, which is great. I do find that sometimes I two scenarios happen. One is I'm with whiskey people, bourbon people, mm-hmm. and I'm always in this mindset of okay, if I'm with this group of people, if it's not a cast strength you know, Kentucky bourbon, they're not going to like it. And I can't, I got to watch what I bring up. And then there's this other group of people when you go to their house and they're new whiskey drinkers and they bring out a bottle and they always say, it's probably not something that's going to blow your mind, but you know, like immediately downplaying, but they want to share it with me. And both of those conversations with the, with the, if it ain't cast drinks and ain't Kentucky, I don't want it. That conversation, that's when I'm always going to bring out, well, this is Penelope. Here you go. You know what I mean? Which, they, right. you know, yeah. and with the other people, it's like, well, if you like that, just let's drink it and let's enjoy it together. And then let's find out. And maybe it's maybe it's not the best. Maybe it's, you know, bottom shelf. Maybe it's not. But I always try to find a piece of conversation in both of those both of those categories. I struggle more with the with the bourbon connoisseur with the with the I I know my stuff, whiskey people. Not to pick on them. Sure, but that's well, the people that I have the hardest time with. I I would I would flip it back to you. Is like what you're dealing with. You you're dealing with people who know what they want, and they mm. don't want to go. They don't want to go outside. Great, make me of that the bad lane. guy. Yeah. <laughs> and, well, I don't I don't mean it in that way. I mean I deal with it all the time. Mm. And and like you know, brought up Penelope. I totally ripped uh, a Penelope release recently. It was mm. uh, it was their toasted thing. I thought it was horrible. Mm. And I said, please, if you like it, drink it. And I mean, I got I got hit up pretty hard uh, in comments and an email saying I was wrong. Like, yeah, absolutely. I was wrong for you. Yeah, and, sure. And, yeah, and that is good. that is that is healthy. It is healthy for people to know and love what they like. And and like I, not everybody needs to like everything. You know, if, if you want to be in the chair of being a professional whiskey reviewer or being a uh a professional, you know, uh, whiskey media person, then you got to, you, Bobby, have to put the shoes on and the hat on of saying, like, I got to try everything. I got to do everything. Of Your course. job there, and when you get in that room with someone, is not to necessarily bring out something to challenge them. Uh, if they want to be challenged, if they want to try something outside their lane, do it. But, you know, nine times out of the 10, you know, something like this is probably the only thing you're going to be able to, like, you know, get them to um to switch over from kentucky you know you got yeah, a smoke you, wagon he pulled out yeah yeah i pulled out a smoke wagon a uh a, i forget what he calls this uh special batch small batch batch or something like he's got so <laughs> many batches in bottles <laughs> and it's uncut unfiltered it's like aaron i can't keep up with all your like batch specials. Yeah. but uh, yeah yeah find it in your local it, store <laughs> but like you've got like um you know those those bourbon connoisseurs really just you know know what they want and yeah. i i think i wish honestly i wish i could live in that world because let me tell you something i get sent a lot of stuff that i taste and i'm like oh my god i it's this is making me want to quit you know i mean it's it's oh there's i've tasted so much bad whiskey in my yeah. career and yeah. um and it's like uh um i i think there's something beautiful about knowing what you want all the time and it's yeah. uh it's a much it's a much easier thing to choose when you have to pick something to drink. 
All right, Chasers, that will wrap up our first part of our conversation with Fred Minnick. Check us out next week when we continue with part two. Hey, Cast Chasers, that's it for this week's episode. If this was your first time listening, welcome to the family. We're probably just as weird as that one relative, but hopefully with better stories. Anyway, make sure to check us out online at caskchasers.org slash podcast to catch up on our full library of episodes. And as always, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Cask Chasers so you can stay up to date on all things Cask Chasers, including new episodes, events, and deals on official Cask Chasers merch every whiskey enthusiast is sure to love. Big shout out to all of our sponsors and special guests for your continued support, and most of all to our listeners. You guys are the best. And until next time you tune in, remember, it's not about finding the perfect dram. It's all in the chase.